So if you don't learn how to articulate your unique value, then of course, revenue will go up and so will the amount of stress you have. Profit usually goes down, not up, as you start to get to that capacity point because you're starting to hire other people, they leave on you, you start burning capital. That's why most people end up in a plateau or start to go down. Hello and welcome to the Winning Sign Away Show. I am your host, Trent Clark. Another great episode. Get ready for my guest, Matthew Pollard. Matthew, how are you, buddy? Mate, I am doing terrific. I'm ecstatic to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm thrilled you are here. Looking forward to Matthew and I actually are hitting the road a little bit this summer. We will be together in June in Michigan. Going to talk to some entrepreneurs with the EO folks. And I am super excited as Matthew's going to bring the noise here on the edge and talking about the books, talking about sales. It's going to be awesome as we invite everybody into Grand Rapids, Michigan with Matthew. So Matthew, tell people where they can find you if they're reaching for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm at matthewpollard.com, but you can also go to theintrovertsedge.com. I mean, there you can get the first chapters of my book for free as well. My publisher hates me when I say that. You don't need to buy my books. You can get the first chapters at theintrovertsedge.com. Love it. Love it. Okay, so let's get into a little bit. People may have picked up on Matthew's got a slight accent. Matthew is an Australian living in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, of course, doing his thing from here and author of these two fabulous books, The Edge Introvert or The Introverted the edge. introvert's edge. The, the introvert's, introvert's edge. edge. Yeah. And yes. because the framing is important for me, right? Because I believe that introverts have an advantage when it comes to selling and networking, which is kind of counterintuitive. I think most people feel like they have to have that big gift of gab to succeed in those things. And a lot of small business owners feel because they're introverted, that's an inhibitor to them growing. I think it's extremely counterintuitive from our disc standpoint, right? We talk about that sometimes with the silly, the D and the dominance and the, are the I, the influencers, and then the steadiness of the S's and the C's. S's and C's often introvert side get a bad rap. Like, oh, those aren't salespeople, right? I hear that all the time. That is so common. It's almost weekly for me in my world of consulting. So I'm excited to talk a little bit about the introvert's edge because I really think that that thoughtful process is so important. And as a guy who's a a gift of gab, quote unquote, it's hard to sit and be quiet and be a good listener when selling. It's much harder for extroverts in the long run. And I'll say that, I mean, don't get me wrong, extroverts with gift of gab, they do well initially. And for the longest time, they can survive and succeed because a lot of introverts don't know they can excel in sales. And by the way, for for the people listening that are like, oh, I'm not going to hire an introvert, that'd be like saying, I don't want to hire Zig Ziglar. I mean, Zig Ziglar was an introvert. So I mean, the most well-known sales trainer and performer on earth is an introvert. If you're worried that introverts can't do small talk, let's talk about that. Oprah Winfrey is an introvert. David Letterman is an introvert. So, I mean, the introverts do excel, but what happens is that extroverts are great at winning things. And that's not a positive thing long-term because, of course, they don't excel at active listening and they don't excel at empathy. Those are both learnable skills, by the way. I think the problem is that introverts believe they can't sell, so they don't try. But sales systems, networking systems, public speaking systems, you know, those are all things that introverts excel at because they hold onto it for dear life because without it, we're terrible. 
And then over time, we get to become the best in the business. The problem is most people believe they can't sell or can't network and therefore they don't try. And that's what my books really talk about. It's the fact that, you know, I go as far as saying in my first book, you really could piece together a system as an introvert no matter what, and it would work for you. The problem is that as an introvert, the biggest thing that's going on in your head is I can't do this. I can't do this. And that's got to go away because most introverts are amazing at sales. They just can't wing things, and that's what gets in their way. Well, I, I think you're hit something really important, which is it's being said consistently like, oh, I'm an introvert. I shouldn't be selling. That is a mantra that does live out there. What I think you touched on, which was really good, and you actually – prove this methodology is that selling and systems can be learned. You were a young man, 18, 19 years old, lose your data entry job after three weeks, right? And you're like, yeah, I got to go get a sales job because the only thing that's available is a commissioned only deal. So now it's, hey, if I'm going to survive and eat, pay my bills, pay my rent, you know, make this deal, you're, a, you're an 18, 19 year old kid, right? And walk me through that process of what you're thinking and how you learn. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's just say if this didn't happen to me, then I wouldn't be teaching this stuff and I'd probably still be doing a data entry role. And I, th I think a lot of people listening probably have businesses because something happened to them. So they went and started a business of their own or they just want to around them, their family and their life, not the other way around. And so they end up running a business and then realizing they have to sell. For me, I mean, I had a reading speed of a sixth grader in late high school. I was super introverted. And for the video listeners, I basically mean I got diagnosed with this thing called Erlen syndrome, which means I put on this funny pair of colored lenses and then miraculous, I could learn to read, but not like everyone else. I could start the process of learning to read. And so for me, the last two years of high school were tough. I got into the top 20% of my state, but I was exhausted. I had no idea what I wanted to do. So my family all agreed that I would spend a year finding myself to work out what I wanted to do because going to university without having that in mind, I knew I would spin out and wouldn't do anything. I took a job doing data entry. I literally, you know, when I speak from stage at events, I say I took a job at a real estate agency and everybody looks at me, born salesperson, gift of gab, obviously. We were just looking to stamp anyone that's successful with the, the extroversion label. I'm like, no, I was the guy in the back office with the look on my face, like, don't speak to me. I'm here to find myself doing data entry. Three weeks into that job though, like, my manager pulls me aside and he's like, Matt, I am so sorry to tell you this. They're closing down this office. You're out of work. I mean, this was Australia at Christmas time, right? If you think of a place that's almost impossible to get work, it, it's Australia, right? We take, everyone goes off on holidays because it's summer at Christmas time on the 20th of December. No one comes back till the 15th or 20th of January. So here I am thinking, okay, my dad broke his back 80 hours a week trying to support the family. There is no way I'm going home without something lined up. So I pull out the classifieds. And there are literally only three jobs listed. And each one of them is called, which I didn't even know what that was until I picked up the phone and called the first one, commission-only sales. When they explained to me what that was, I was like, you're kidding. So I was like, the first thing, sales was daunting, but commission-only, come on. But I applied for all three roles and I got three job interviews. And I'm like, well, hang on a sec, maybe they see something in me that I don't see myself. And then they, I actually got three job offers. And I walked in because I got three job offers to the first day of training with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, like I got three job offers. And the trainer's like, Matt, they hire everyone. Like they've got a saying, you throw them up against the wall, you see what sticks, which is not a fun saying when you realize that. 
not a single second of sales training, I get thrown on this road called Sydney Road in Melbourne, Australia. It's like a thousand doors on each side. And I just go sell. I didn't even know what to say. They give me five days product training and that's it. That was my realization. So door one, I was politely told to leave. And I say politely, which was a good thing, by the way, because shortly after that, I was sworn at. My personal favorite, though, was always getting told to get a real job. Like this was the only job I could get. Door after door, that happened until I got to my 93rd door where I made about $70. I remember being ecstatic because that was a lot of money at that time. But then I had this other realization. I got to do this again tomorrow, the next day, and the next. And I think for, for most of the audience listening at home or in their offices, probably thinking at that point, well, that's where I quit or that's where most people would, which isn't untrue. Like 18 of my training group of 20 quit. They weren't. They didn't come back the next day. But I decided that sales had to be a system. That was my thing. Like Because otherwise, without Gifted Gad, my year was going to be terrible. And without, I mean, I couldn't read a Brian Tracy or a Zig Ziglar book. It would have taken me a year to read that, let alone apply it. So I taught myself how to sell watching YouTube videos. And I think this is a great example of learning. I think that kids get written off because special education, they have needs, they don't learn like everybody else. You got to wear your special glasses. And you're like, oh man, I am not keeping up with these juniors and seniors. In fact, I'm exhausted coming out of my grade school work, my secondary education, because it's a ton of work. And yet, here, you're learning tons via video, right? And you're learning right away. Like, oh, I'm picking this up right away, what they're saying, because this is a learning style that you're very, very adaptive to. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think what's probably the biggest learning out of this for me was a couple of things. We set these barriers to say, oh, I can't do that. We tell these ourselves these amazing stories, which are getting in the way of us actually taking action towards fixing them. And it's so easy to create excuses because like I told myself that I couldn't go home and tell my father that I was working, I needed to do commission-only sales. My father would have accepted it. Let's face it, we're not exactly living in mud huts anymore, right? You know, it's a lot safer than it ever has been. It, you know, in a lot of ways, we life's not that tough. When I deliver these presentations to, you know, I speak at a lot of EO events. I talk about the fact that at that point, most people would just assume that that's the way it's going to be, and they they would constantly just hustle every day, hopefully relying on lady luck. And and to me, that's not okay. But then a lot of people will buy $5,000 courses and say, that's going to fix my problem. It just, it feels nice. But then when I tell them what I did instead, they're like, I would never have done that. They didn't need to do it over the time frame I did it. And I'll just explain. I mean, I spent like every day, the decision I made is sales had to be a system. And I, where, where am I going to learn this system? Well, back then YouTube just came out. So I, so I typed in sales system. And what I noticed is all these videos came up and I literally would spend eight hours a day applying what I'd learned the night before. And then I rush home every night and I'd spend eight hours learning the next thing or improving on what I worked on. Weekends, I'd spend 16 hours practicing. And for most people, I mean, of course, this doesn't sound fun and I get it. But every day I got better. Like I would be, you know, 71 doors, then 46 doors, then 20 doors, then nine. Then I got it down to eventually closing a door every, you know, I, I would literally make a sale every three doors. And literally my boss pulls me in. I remember it was about six weeks later and I thought I'd done something wrong. Like he had this weird look on his face. I'm like, I'm going to get fired again. Like I've seen that face. And like, I remember I was the quiet guy. Like I used to hand my paperwork in downstairs. I didn't even talk to anyone upstairs. All these boisterous sales reps talking about how they locked in that deal or how the market's getting tougher. I talked to no one. I kept to myself. And he had this puzzled look and he's like, Matt, we just got our national sales figures. And back then they used to get them about once a month. And he said, you're the number one salesperson in the company. And I mean, this was the largest sales and marketing company in the Southern Hemisphere. This company employed thousands of commission-only sales reps all over the country selling telecommunications, you know, oil and gas, like just ridiculous. It took six weeks. And yet I've carried that success 
into everything else that I've done. This regimented, I agree that it's a system and I'll apply that system. I'm willing to do a short-term amount of pain for a long-term reward. I mean, I've ta- I mean, now I teach people sales. I mean, we're prepared to sell to eventually, I mean, I don't know why they did this, but they were like, you can sell, we're gonna promote you to manage. I don't know why people think that you can sell so you can manage. I was terrible at management. I, you know, I got given a team of 20, they all quit. I went back to YouTube to learn how to do that and I got good at it. But most people say, well, I would never put in that amount of work for six weeks. Well, then do it over six months. Do it over 12 months. For most people listening here, they've spent a lifetime learning their functional skill, and then they fail to earn the money they deserve for one of two reasons. One is they're introducing themselves by their functional skill, which is nuts. They've kind of already lost at that point, and they're fighting on price. Or they get a customer that's literally trying to buy. They're just so bad at it, and they fill the customer's head with jargon, like this fire hose of information, and they can't close the deal. And that is something that even if you put a small amount of dedicated effort for a period of six months, you would double the profit you're making. I mean, we're talking just offline, Trent, about, you know, an accountant that literally went back and sold to his current clients. He put his prices up by 430% and he sold to 82% of his current clientele just by learning a methodology and learning how to differentiate himself. Yet most businesses don't do that. They work so hard be feeling underappreciated and not making the profit they deserve. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it is amazing. And it sounds simple, right? It sounds simple on paper, but a plan, having a strategy, having a system, having a plan. And by the way, you know, I, I kind of laughed about your YouTube reference because probably about 20 years ago, I remember watching Goodwill Hunting, right? And he was the brilliant guy from Boston, right? Who goes, you know, he's, he's running around Harvard's, you know, back school. You know. Yeah. And he's like, Cost you three ninety five and fines at the public library. Like the information's all here. Like you don't need some special degree. Like the information's out there. If you're not going to get it, that's on you. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, so I have I have different views on education, and what I mean by that is I had no money to my name, which means, but I did have time. So YouTube, everything you'll ever need is on YouTube. And especially these days, the amount of content we have on Audible, you can do all of it yourself, right? Now, I mean, we talk about EO. There are other membership groups as well. And so what's the benefit of that? What's the benefit of buying an online training? Well, if you make great money and what you're short of is time, then these systems regiment the learning so you can do it at speed. Some include additional support. Some organizations have forums and, you know, different groups where they can help cut the learning curve and bounce ideas out so you can get out of your own head. But it drives me nuts when somebody reaches out to me and they're like, I have got no money and I need your help. And I'm like, no, what you want is my help because what you're doing otherwise is falling into busy procrastination. And that drives me nuts. Like one of the things that I do a lot of times when I speak at events is I literally say from stage, because everyone in their head is like, I'm either not going to do this or I'm going to hire him to do this. I'm like, you don't need to hire me. What you need to do is you need an accountability partner. And I literally match them up in the room with somebody. And I say, this person is your accountability partner. Let's do the exercises together. And this is when you're going to reach back out to them. And I get them to schedule it in their calendar. Because those are the two things. You need to know what to do, and YouTube can teach you that, but you also need to hold yourself accountable to actually doing it. And the truth is, most people just don't do that. So I could have spent the next six months saying, oh, I'm going to learn sales and reading a few books, but not actively applying it. But instead, I went and I practiced it and I applied it, and therefore YouTube worked. And that's the thing that drives me nuts. A lot of the people that I meet they're either struggling to make six figures or they're making a good six-figure income relying on the feast and famine that comes with referrals, which a lot of times is the best type of sale they can get. And that's just because their marketing doesn't work, but they don't improve their packaging. They don't improve the way they sell. And 
they say that they want to. So they read a book, they might even hire a consultant or buy an online program. And then they kind of shallowly do it. And then they go back to what I call busy procrastination. They do the busy work of their business that feels like they're moving forward, but all they're really doing is hiding their head in the sand because they don't want to do the things that are uncomfortable. And the truth is that it's usually uncomfortable. Like I say all the time, like if you start with sales, you've already lost because if you, if they see you as an insurance salesperson or as an accountant or as a language tutor, well, then they're comparing you against everybody else. Like we were talking offline. Like if you say, you know, I do disc assessments, well, then people just go and say, well, everybody does disc assessments. Let's go shopping for the cheapest disc assessment provider because you're literally defining yourself as milk, right? There's nothing different between me and everyone else. And even most milk brands differentiate better than most service providers do. Unlock the full potential with your business with Leadershipity. Our proven strategies have fueled growth for countless organizations. Ready to elevate your leadership and scale your success? Book your free 15-minute consultation now. Click the link in the show notes below and let's make your business soar. Yeah, it's interesting how you how you frame the information, right? I've been in this game of data. First of all, you made a perfect, to me, a perfect description of hyper-learning, right? Taking all this content, taking people to experience it, like, like funneling it in. And like, that's what I think that's my value of the entrepreneurs. And then and the entrepreneur organization, EO, is like, it's hyper-learning. I see this in the military. Like, I'm going to go to SEAL training. Oh, you're going to get really good in like eight weeks. It's, right? like, it's going to be crazy, right? Pro sports is very similar where my environment, where I came from, is like all these athletes coming in the best in the world who've, who've worked at the highest level and they go, no, that doesn't work. No, that doesn't work. No, that doesn't work. Like these work, these work, these work, this work. I like that. Click. And you're like, bam, bam, bam. And you're like, man, and everybody checks their ego at the door. And then you go in and you just hyper learn and you're like, dang, man. And then when you come out of the room after a few weeks, everyone goes, holy crap, man. You just went and got a lot better. Like, yeah, I figured out the system, man. Like it's crazy. And you don't realize it because everybody Everybody's good inside the room. And so you're like, oh man, am I really good? It's kind of like working out, right? Where you you work out, you're like, I, I don't see any changes, you know? Like, and then all of a sudden, someone you haven't seen in a couple months goes, Holy crap, Matt, what are you doing, man? You look great. Like, this is incredible. And you're like, Yeah, damn right, man. I've been putting stuff in every day, like the work. But the other thing I got out of your message there was I've been in this game a long time. I am a very well-paid accountability partner. I've got all these exposures into these high environments, right? And people hire me to guide them through these stuff and double their companies. And yeah, like, let's do that. But like, at the end of the day, like, you know what you need to do. I'm directing the steps and then I'm going to hold you accountable. That's what you said you were going to do. Like, and then we got the software to back that up, right? And so it's like, man, you know, like you could do this yourself, but you and I both know most people don't. Why? Well, so I think there are two things. And I actually, I know your podcast loves uh, sports analogies. We do. We do love that. So firstly, a lot of them believe that they can't, right? So it's like the one minute mile and you're probably going to know the the exact person I'm talking about, but nobody could do the one minute mile. And then all of a sudden kids at high school were doing it. Yeah. The four minute. Yep. Four minute mile. Yep. Yep. Four minute mile. Correct. So, and you'll find that I'm pretty bad at sports. So I'm going to do that. That's good. But the, the, the concept was no one believes they can. So a lot of, especially, and let's talk about real functional service providers like the a lot of the groups like you think about a managed service provider or an accountant or someone that sells insurance they're like oh what i do is complicated it needs to be you know i need to educate the client so that they they can make the best decision 
No, that's what you're telling yourself yeah. so that you don't need to learn sales. And there are two reasons you're telling yourself that. One is because you think that the customer's job is to make the decision on the direct. You're the expert. Like the biggest thing that your job is, is to decide what the customer needs and get them out of their own way to buy your stuff. But because you don't know how to do that, you're going to educate the client, which only gets the client in their own way. And then you go, they're going to buy a product or service from somebody else that service isn't as good, probably, just because you weren't able to do it. So the truth is that if you want to serve your clients, you need to learn how to sell. But then the, the second thing is that once they believe that they can, the second one is to allocate time. And this is what I've seen with a lot of small businesses, especially small businesses, is that when they're doing the accounting work, they're getting paid. When they're doing the other work, when they're working on things in behind their business, they appropriate that as good, valuable time. But because, and it's kind of a hybrid, they believe that they're going to learn sales in the room. They're going to believe that their networking is transactional, so they're just going to do it in the room. They don't allocate time to planning and preparation for that. And because of, and, and they see it as standing still. So their brain kind of tells them, you know, we're, we're not running forward, we're not running forward. And because of that, they feel uncomfortable with doing those activities. You know, a lot of times I'll say, like, marketing's not that complicated. If you sit in a room for a couple of hours, you will literally catapult forward. But most people in those couple of hours feel like they should be doing other things. And if I could just to bring this all the way back to goal setting, it's because most people have a scattergun approach to goal obtainment. You know, it's, it's funny when I tell people to set goals, and this is an exercise I do for everybody that before I work with them or before they, you know, even if they were actually, I give it away. I give this exercise away for free in the free video implementation training in the back of my book. But I literally tell them to set three business goals, three personal goals, one selfish to themselves, because that'll drive them. And it's like, all you hear is I'm going to make a million dollars in this business. I'm going to do this other thing. I'm like That's overwhelming. You're not going to do any of it. So most people sit down and write goals every year or every couple of years, and they never hit any of them. And they're used to just resetting in the following year. So what I do is I say, forget about all of that, set three business, three personal, and keep them super hyper-focused. And let's bring the reins in. Like, don't say you're going to hit a million dollars in the next 12 months. And firstly, stop talking about revenue. No one cares. Let's talk about profit, right? But then secondly, don't say you're going to hit a million dollars profit if you've only made 27,000 this year. And sure, it feels nice to say you're going to do that in a year and a half, but you're not. Let's focus at getting to 50 6,000 in the next couple of months. Knock that out of the park, then do the next thing. It keeps you hyper-focused and an accountability partner can help you do it and it feels realistic and you can make an actual plan. And on that, don't say you're going to master sales, you're going to master networking, you're going to master leadership and you're going to create all SOPs for your entire organization in the next three months. That is ridiculous. Go down one rabbit hole, pick one thing to master, dominate in that, come out at the end of that, celebrate the obtainment of that goal and let everybody celebrate with you and then go down the rabbit hole in the next thing. You will do so much more by focusing on one thing at a time to excel at than focusing on six things and achieving none of them. And I like this. Let's use your account. Just your example, this company, right? Your realization rate. That's what an accountant, oh, big KPI. Let's get some realization rate. All right. So if we get a realization rate from 88 to 90%, like, yeah, we made 2% better realization. Like what's the equivalent of that 2% versus a 432% increase 
in your billing. I mean, like, I'd love to do that number for them to go, hey, stop walking over dollars to pick up dimes. Do you know what's funny? I actually have an exact example of that. So what this one accountant I'm thinking of, he called me freaking out. He closed one, like, so he was going back to his previous clients and he closed one out of four, which meant three of his clients said, no, I don't like the idea of this new plan. I mean, he put his prices up by 430% though, freaking out. And I said, hold on, I'm confused. Why are you upset? And he's like, well, I only closed one out of four. And I said, let me explain this for you. You've put your prices up by 430%. So what I'm hearing is I'm making this more revenue, way more profit, and I only have to do 25% as much work. How is that a bad thing? Now we ended up getting it to 82% closure rate, but you know, which actually was too high because now he's still like most accountants that I see are at 150% capacity, but they're yeah. earning less. I mean, they're earning nothing pittance. And their their number one problem is I can't keep up with the work, but I also can't afford to put my prices up on my clients. And it's because they don't think like business people. But the key thing, and I think that the biggest thing that we need to get to is that most people they struggle to put their prices up. They struggle to get that 2% gain because they're like, oh, other people in my industry aren't doing that. Or, you know, I feel bad about it because they're going to go and they'll say, well, I'll just go somewhere else. So if you don't learn how to articulate your unique value, then of course, revenue will go up and so will the amount of stress you have. Profit usually goes down, not up, as you start to get to that capacity point because you're starting to hire other people, they leave on you, you start burning capital. And that's why most people end up in a plateau or start to go down. So for most people, if you're, let me put it this way, if you still call yourself an accountant or an insurance person and you don't have a way of differentiating yourself and you don't speak to a niche of clients that see you as the only logical choice, then you're always going to be fighting on price. You're always going to be talking about the revenue that you get because it's embarrassing to talk about the amount of profit you have. I'd like to know, I'd like to think that like in America, and I know, you know, you're, you're relatively new to America. I mean, you've been here, you know, a quarter of your lifetime and I want every kid to go get 92 no's before their first yes. Like I want every kid to understand like, because I think right now we're doing a disservice, Matt. Like I see a lot of people going, oh, hey, you know, be an entrepreneur, start your business. It's easy. Like, eh, hold on, man. Like, first of all, there's going to be a lot of effort. It's going to be a lot of work. Like it's going to be great. It can be awesome. You can do this. I know you can apply rapid growth. You're, you're an expert. So you can apply rapid growth to almost anything right? And it's there for the taking, but there's a learning curve. Like you are going to have to get in this and work. And I feel like, you know, like you said, oh man, how many quit after the first 10 no's? They were like, oh, this doesn't work. It's not going to work. Get 10. No one's doing 10 no's. Most people give up on two or three. I mean, yeah. the people listening, how many networking events they've actually gone to before they decided they couldn't network? right? Or how many actual sales conversations before they decided they just didn't have the gift of gab? No, yeah. let's go out and sell or let's just keep doing it or learn the system. They just give up. The truth is that, yeah, the 93 doors is absolutely helpful, but not without planning and preparation. And I'll give you an example. I think that the best example I can give you is that going in and beating your head up against the wall is not helpful. Like a lot of introverts say, I'm not going to learn a sales system because I don't think I'm ever going to be able to sell, right? But so then they go and wing it and that's a lot more painful. And then they spend a lot of time writing proposals and following people up. That's a lot more stressful and a lot more time. Like I'll give you an example. There's a guy called Nick Jensen. He, he was an insurance salesperson and he had read my networking book. And he's like, Matt, look, I try to be interested before I try to be interesting, you know, talking to them. And eventually they're like, oh my gosh, you know, Matt, you know, Nick, I can't believe I've been speaking to you for 20 minutes and I can't, you know, I, I don't even know what you do. What is that? And he says, I sell insurance. 
Well, it doesn't matter what you say after you say you sell insurance. They know that the next thing is, do you have insurance? Do you need insurance? And eyes explode. <laughs> and they're like, how do I get away from this person? Like, we've yeah. all been in that situation. Like, yeah. It's horrible. And he said, well, how do I say what I do differently? And there are two things. I said, firstly, I feel like and for the people that haven't started their own business yet or have started a business, and let's face it, a lot of introverts are very practical and logical-minded, so this is a problem. And then a lot of extroverts, when you even when you tell them to set goals, you find out that they inherited those goals from their mother, their father, their, I don't know, Trump roommate they had in college. They just hear these things, they run after them. So the biggest thing for me is you can create a rapid growth business out of anything. There's nothing worse than a rapid growth business with customers you can't stand, a business you don't like. So focus on your passion and why the mission behind what you want to do. And people are like, oh, you better, can I really make money out of that? Well, you need to separate these two because otherwise you just end up saying, I sell insurance. So Nick is a classic example of this because I said, he, well, he comes to me and he's like, what can I do differently? And I said, well, firstly, you said you sell insurance. Like, I need to understand the passion behind this. Like, because otherwise you go into a networking event. Like, think about me. If I said, oh, I'm a sales trainer they would literally look at me like I'm one step above a scam artist. If I said I'm in marketing, like, oh, I need marketing. How much do you cost? And I'm like, all right, so now I'm talking about price. I just met them. The classic elevator pitch, right? I do this for this group of people, even if they have this common problem, which basically is all I, I, I centric, which basically sounds like, hey, you know, I do this thing and I'd love to hire you. I'd love to you know, work with you because, you know, if I got you as a client, that would money, I'd be able to buy a new car and I really need a new car. Like it's so transactional. It's horrible. But if you've got no passion and mission behind it, like, what are you really doing? So I said, Nick, like, why did you get new insurance? And he's like, well, I just, I really felt like people need insurance and I would love to help people with insurance. And I said, like, all people equally? And he said, yeah, all people. Now, I never believe that, by the way, because there's, like, there's no way you could equally care about helping everybody. And truthfully, you couldn't equally help everybody the same way because everyone's got unique talents, backgrounds, past experiences. So I said, all right, Nick, let me give you an example. Somebody that earns $50,000 a year versus somebody that earns two hundred and fifty. Which group do you want to help most? He said, well, obviously the two fifty. I'm like, why? Said, they make more money. They can buy more insurance. I'm like, that's not passion, Nick. That's just I'm, I want more money. I said, let me ask you a different question. Imagine I was a guy that studied like crazy in a poor neighborhood to get a scholarship to go to Harvard, graduated from Harvard. Now I earn $250,000 a year, C-level executive with 10 staff versus somebody that said, you know what, forget high school, I'm going to drop out, saves up, start their own business. Now they make 250. They've got 10 staff of their own in their own business. Which group do you want to help the most? And he said, well, the business owner. I'm like, why? This guy's hustled to get to Harvard. Like he's made something of himself. And his response was, I just think they deserve it more. And I said, tell me about that because that's not everybody's belief. It's your belief. And he said, well, I had this grandfather and my grandfather literally did start his own business and he prioritized everybody else over himself in his farm that he built. And he said he got to a certain point where he got unwell and he had to, you know, he had to sell the farm. He couldn't support it anymore. He said, I just watched him fade away in front of a television for the last decade of his life. I just, you know, I hated seeing that. I'm like, you sell insurance. Like the guy didn't die. Like how, how could you, you know, connect that to insurance for me? He's like, well, I know about these insurance products that high cash flow businesses can buy. They can put in their cash flow and it can sit in there. They can get a high yield interest rate. They can move into investments. I was blown away at how much he knew about this. Like no insurance company knows as much about this as he did because he cared about it. And the reason for that is because of his grandfather. 
And I said, how would you like to get up every day to help these high cash flow businesses, the hustlers of the world that create something out of nothing, use their high cash flow that they don't usually do anything more than put in a really low yield bank account, learn how to leverage that into these high yield returns so they could invest into other things. I would love that. So what we did is we niched him down to high cash flow businesses and we started with just farmers because that's what his grandfather had. And we called him the hustle lifeguard right? For the hustlers of the world and lifeguard, right? Signifying those people that are hustling every day, but their finances are kind of drowning, right? And he, you know, helps breathe oxygen back into them. And he would go to networking events and he would in- introduce himself as the hustle lifeguard, which after talking to someone for 20 minutes, they're like, well, I kind of feel like I should ask more questions because you've been taught, let me talk about myself. But secondly, what the hell's that? So they ask the question and then he responds with, you know, his passion and mission for service and then leverages a story. Like when I say hello to someone and I talk to them and they ask me what I do, I say I'm the rapid growth guy. And when they ask me what that is, I say, well, one of the things I love more than anything in the world is an amazing introverted service provider with enough talent, skill and belief in themselves to start a business of their own. But what I find more often than not, I just hate seeing this, is they get stuck in this endless hamster wheel of struggling to find interested people, trying to set themselves apart, trying to make the sale, feeling like people only care about one thing, price. Do you know anyone like that? Now, if you know how to research, you should know what event you're going to, your avatar should be there. And if you look up the attendees, like connect with them in a LinkedIn beforehand. So you actually feel like you've got planned meetings. So of course the person is like that because I have found my avatar before I go. So I then explain that I'm on a mission to help introverts like that realize that they can obtain rapid growth, but not by getting better at their functional skill. Instead, by focusing on just three things outside the scope of their functional skill that can really allow them to build a business around them, their family, and their life. Then I'll tell them a story. See, the difference is I don't I didn't even tell you what I did. I didn't mention anything about sales, anything about marketing, because the truth is people don't care if I say put this iPhone in the middle of your desk and you will create rapid growth. They just want to make a great income doing what they love. All I did, instead of saying I, 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 I talked about the change I want to see in the world and the mission that I'm on. That difference means everything, but it comes from saying, what am I truly passionate about? And everybody got to choose what they do. They did it for a reason, but then they got practical and they forgot that that reason is the reason that should be driving their marketing. And that's all they need to segue. Where's my passion and mission behind this? How do I say, what are the unique things that I can do outside the scope of my functional skill to help these people? And then how can I create a message for that? Once you have that, everything else is easier. Love it. When we talk about your background, this is unique, like, because you go into the school of hard knocks and you were just growing. And if people don't know this about you, you know, you're a guy who's created five multi million dollar different businesses before you're 30 years old. And so, and, and I love this that at 27, you decide, you know, like, hey, maybe I should go get ed- educated. And so you head off for an MBA, which most people don't know here that. Someone with an undergrad can go get an MBA? Like, you didn't go to college. No, no, I know. I've been working and building businesses and building value and, and contributing to these organizations and to other organizations and to my people that work for me. So you have all these experience of contribution. And this MBA program says, of course, Matt, you're in, dude. Like, executive level MBA, let's do it. It's a four-year program. Get in here, guy. Let's do this together. Because... An MBA program is really much more real world, come alongside and start learning business in in a functional way, as opposed to our typical undergrad would just kind of lecture, speak at you, 
hey, this is the information you need to know. Yeah, is that fair? I, so there are a couple of things in that question. So, I mean, firstly, you know, my last business was an educational business and I'm like, I better go and get one, right? It's inauthentic to not have an education. And look, the world's never worked for me, like never worked for me. I couldn't read, nothing worked, right? I then fell into sales. So I've always lived my life by... And literally, I will say this, and I'll, I'll come to a, a couple of quotes. So firstly, and this is an NLP theory of assuming you're responsible for everything horrible that happens to you. And I know that sounds terrible, but if you're not in control of it, if you don't take responsibility and you're at effect, it's like, poor you, I can't survive. As opposed to, it's my fault, what can I do to fix it? So firstly, saying that, the second thing is to then live in what if thinking, right? So literally saying, what if there was a way that I could learn to get out of this? Or what if there was a solution? And for that, you know, I mean, you're from Michigan, so let's use a Henry Ford quote, right? If you think you can, or if you think you can't, you're right. So you're if right. you believe that there is a solution, there will be one and there always is. And I think that the thing for me is taking responsibility, realizing there's always a, another way came from the fact that there always had to be or my life would have been terrible, right? Most people, their lives kind of work. So it's actually harder for them to take these two things on. But if you can say anything that I can't do, take responsibility, then assume there's a path forward for you. Well, then it comes down to the willingness to do the work. And if you're not willing to do the work and you just want to go back to what's comfortable, getting, what do they say? Getting out of your comfort zone. That's where the magic happens. Sure. But actually doing the work over a longer scale. And that's why having very structured goals is really important. So for me, I went, I need to get an education. Okay. But I'm not going to do an undergrad because everything I'd heard about undergrad is it's the learning and regurgitation of information you're never going to care about once you graduate. And I was like, you know what? I'm not doing that. I want to do an MBA. And everyone said, well, you can't do an MBA, Matt. I mean, you don't have an undergrad. And it was like all these people telling me why I wasn't good enough to go and do an MBA. And I'm like, well, how about that? I'm going to go find a way to do an MBA. And then I discovered there were two universities that did an executive education and you know and i and the requirement was one you had to do a test which basically meant you had to do this basic iq test to prove you're exceptional and then the second one was you had to have eight years of senior leadership experience and I could have assumed as a business owner, that wasn't senior leadership. I was running my own business. And then I literally, so I applied anyway, because again, I took responsibility. I assumed that I was going to, it was going to work out. And funnily enough, it did. So what happened was I applied, I got accepted and I got to do it. And I got to learn, I would say that qualification was wonderful because I got to learn how to apply theory, which is what an MBA focuses on rather than regurgitate theory. And funnily enough, when I met my, my now wife and I said that this is the qualification that I have, she was like, well, you would never have been able to get to do that in America. And I said, okay, I can imagine, like, I don't know enough to say I could have, but I also don't want to assume that that's not the reality. And I bet you this is going to come up from time to time. So I looked it up and it turns out that my university is also the sister university of the University of Texas, which also offers an executive education program with the same you know, rules and to get in. So the thing is that people create these stories for why you can't, or they do what everybody else does. And for me, I just live this life that I have to do everything differently because the way other people do it doesn't work for me. And I think that that's actually a negative for other people. I've got, you know, one of the quotes that I coined, which I, you know, I, I think is really helpful in this point is, you know, the adversities we face seed the success of our future. And unfortunately, I feel like a lot of people haven't faced specific adversities that I faced when I was younger, which means they never got to take responsibility, say, what if there was a solution and then take responsibility because life wasn't really that tough. And that means they've had a little bit of pain for a really long period of time. 
as opposed to a lot of pain in a really short period of time, which is what I experienced. Well, I think one of the things I love, I love Stephen Covey's quote, you are responsible for your results, right? And we were just talking about that this week, a fellow client of mine. And man, it's like, we expect folks to take responsibility. We want our team members. I want to surround myself with winners, right? Our show, winners find a way. Winners, when shown data they're losing, find a way to win. I want solutions-driven, solutions-minded people who are like, hey, I'm not sure this works. And, and your mind is going through this as, an undergrad, I don't think serves me. So let me find a way if I can just go directly to the MBA. And yet there's all this information out there that centers around that says, oh, no, no, you can't do that. And we believe it. Like, like there's so many people who believe, oh, you're an introvert. You can't sell. Oh, I believed it because somebody said it. And I don't know who has the street cred that I should believe that, right? Like, it's like, well, I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Like, yeah, I don't know if I should believe you that an introvert can't sell because you've got this, what background to tell me that's true, but we do believe it as truth. Why are we doing it, Matt? Well, so the thing is that we love our little stories. They mean that we don't have to work very hard. Like mm. that's the thing, like life's convenient. Like I've got a choice that I can tell myself the story that I can't do an MBA because I don't have an undergrad, which means let's be honest, I get to watch a ton more Netflix or I could not tell myself that story, find a way, which means I need to go through all the work of applications. It's just easier to say. I mean, what's that? I think it's a, it's Richard, a Robert Kiyosaki that said, the reason why there aren't more entrepreneurs out in the world is because people would prefer to have a very mediocre life where treat, people treat them poorly than have a unpredictability in their life, right? And business, running your own business has a lot of variability. And for a lot of people, they, they can't take it. For me, I just, I live in this world of what if, like, a lot of times when somebody's like, oh, there's no way to do that. I'm like, what if there is a way? And that's just my natural go-to. Yeah. I think that for a lot of people, especially like you think about, you know, people that are in insurance life, you know, isn't that hard? They they hustle, they get a little bit of insurance deals, they get enough to, you know, keep the lights on, earn an okay living. Accountants, yes, they're at 150% capacity. Yes, they go to a networking event. The moment they say I'm an accountant, the People, you know, switch off and they're like, how do I get away from this person? But yeah, and every now and then somebody says, I need an accountant and it, it kind of works. People are willing to accept this subpar because they're not willing to do what other people aren't willing to do. And because yeah. of that, they get to live very mediocre lives like everyone else. And I mean, I know that, you know, you're a big fan of EO and, and so am I. And funnily enough, you know, I actually started speaking at a lot of EOs more recently because I got picked up to speak at a ton of corporations because The Introvert's Edge, my book, has this really good chapter on storytelling. And everybody has books on storytelling. Mine's a chapter. My joke is that we introverts overcomplicate everything, right? So, you know, I wanted to make one chapter instead of a book so we could actually apply it. But it meant me doing all these sales kickoffs. And I'm now, I just got listed by Selling Power Magazine as the number one sales kickoff speaker in the world, which is great, but I love speaking at small business. So I, I then went to the effort of going out of my way to source EOs so I could speak at them, even though you know sales kickoffs pay a lot more. I love that piece, right? So I love doing it. But what's interesting is that I don't create excuses and I focus on what I want, not what's convenient. And I think it's really the stories that we set ourselves and the, the narratives that we tell that really get in our own way from taking action and doing what we want to do. I could be here on this call, you know, telling people how amazing it is to do all these sales kickoffs and how I'm making all these this money and then getting off and going, oh gosh, I got to do another sales kickoff. I hate my life. As opposed to doing what I absolutely love to do. I, I feel that people need to say, what would bounce me out of bed every morning I mean, because that's the thing. Like, I, yes, I've created five multi-million dollar success stories. I didn't say that I was happy in every one of them. There were some that I was yeah. printing money and they made me miserable. So the thing that I would say is I literally, like, I hope people can understand the energy that I'm putting into this 
but it's because I love this. I love doing exactly this. But the problem is, and I'm going to come back to one specific thing that I think is really important. We've got to stop lying to ourselves. And when you break through an adversity, you have to be honest about it so you can help others. And what I mean by that is I could quite easily say I did my MBA and everybody would assume that I did an undergraduate. But instead, I openly will talk about the fact that I skipped it, not as a, a point of pride, but I want other people to know that they can do that too, because I actually will say that I'm a much better business owner now because I did my MBA, right? Where there were things I didn't know that I thought I knew, and I probably saved or made a ton more money because I did it, but I wouldn't have got any value from an undergrad. Now, on the t on top of that, I will say there's a lot of introverts that will say, and funnily enough, so I spoke at the, the AAISP Leadership Summit, which imagine all the best senior leaders in sales, the best in the business, and they're all there. And I did a survey of all of them beforehand, whether they were introverted or extroverted. And you should have seen some of the responses. I was introverted, but don't worry, I'm extroverted now. Like, firstly, what's wrong with being introverted? And secondly, yeah. how do you think it's something you can change? Yeah. And what it is, is obviously an introversion is just this, where you draw your energy. You draw your energy from being by yourself. You're an introvert. If you draw your energy, it doesn't mean you can't sell, right? But if you draw your energy by being an extra out with people, you're an extrovert. Now, this podcast is going to take far less energy than 150 podcasts ago. Why? I have a system. It's There's less angst. I, I have a more regimented system. I know what I'm saying. My first sale took a lot more energy than my millionth sale. But yeah. that doesn't mean I'm now more extroverted. It means that I'm an introvert that has a strong system. And I think what happens is people think that introversion is something they have to get away from. It's like a disease that they have to, you know, find the cure to. And the truth is this applies to everything. If you're an introvert that's learned to sell, I'll be honest, you're an introvert that now has a system for selling. And by the way, if that system is behaving more extroverted, that's only going to last half as long. That's going to feel really in inauthentic. But if you've found a process, tell people you're an introvert that you've learned to sell, right? And by the way, also, if you're an extrovert that thinks you've become more introverted since COVID, that also is not true. We don't, you can't change who we are. We've got to start, stop telling ourselves this fake news and say, what is it that I want? If I can't, if I don't have the competency, what would be a path to get that competency? And then get out of your own way. Forget about busy procrastination. Stop telling yourself stories and take responsibility for it and just do the work. And I feel that people don't do that. And as a matter of fact, I'll go one step further. For those people, the concept of Nick's story, the concept of coming up with the hustle lifeguard, the rapid growth guy, finding your niche. Like if you're just selling and you're not differentiating at all, again, you don't need to hire me for this. Just go to matthewpollard.com forward slash growth, download that template. There's a five-step template that will tell you how to create your own version of the unified message and discover your niche. Don't call me for help reach out to somebody else that you know that is, and if they haven't listened to this podcast, get them to listen to this podcast and say, I will get, spend an hour helping you do this if you spend an hour helping me do this after listening to this podcast. And drop, spend two hours together and you will find that, you know, I did this at the National Freelance Conference. 200 people in the room, 97% of the people walked out sitting, saying they had a unified message that will excite people to want to know more and a niche of willing to buy clients. The whole session was 90 minutes long. It's the saddest thing in the world. This stuff works, just people don't spend time doing it. That's awesome. So a couple of things that you've been challenged with in your life. Let's just, it always hasn't been perfect, right? I mean, Matthew, plenty of challenges along the way. As a young guy, you're with a group, I mean, by the way, you're a young guy now, in my opinion, by the way, and you look younger. So I'm going to out you right here. Most people don't know that Matthew Powell is almost 40 years old now. And, you know, even though you look 27 still, it's impressive. So 
but you're you're a young guy in your 20s and you're on your second or third company you have a group outing and someone of a madman attacks you in a bar unprovoked uh, you know a drug you know induced kind of person and You've got to, you know, take this, all this abuse to your face, uh, over 25 stitches to your face. And you've got to be a young looking guy going out and doing sales. And now basically trust is off. I mean, I I don't know what you look like coming in and trying to talk to somebody at this point. You how do you reinvent yourself at this point knowing, man, I don't know how I'm going to bring these people right to the pain point and get this conversation going without them being distracted by what's happened to me. And And there's probably a lot of questions, but you know, there's also a trust issue. Talk to me through that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, actually, let me preface with one thing first. For for people listening to this, this is something I've not actually shared very much on podcast. Well, actually, I've never really shared it outside maybe one other podcast. And the reason I'm saying this is I want people to notice the difference between some of the answers I've given in the past that are really planned and prepared and this introvert trying to do something off the cuff because you'll realize very quickly I'm perhaps a little bit less polished in this answer. So the answer is, I mean, this was tough for me because if you're talking about a guy, I mean, I had really bad acne. I mean, I, I told you about a presentation where I show a photo of me at my sister's wedding at this, and it's, you know, you want everything to be perfect for your sister's wedding, but all the photos had me with really bad acne. I mean, I struggled, I struggled to talk to anybody and then I was in door-to-door sales, right? So yeah. like get that was really tough for me. But what I did is through the process of developing this system, I developed some confidence and I became, you know, much more innerly confident that if I just followed the system, it wasn't about me and I could sell. But that system that I fostered was really very much about developing trust and and rapport with people, having people believe me that I'm, you know, they could trust me. This kid has their best interest at heart. And then, and we'll talk about the event in a second, but then all of a sudden I have 26 stitches to my face and I look like I was in a bikey gang and, you know, trust was out the window. So I had to really rebuild my entire sales system in a way that leveraged the, you know, it it, it leveraged information storytelling, which is what I learned. Storytelling, you know, when I deliver keynotes on storytelling, I help people realize that the reason I deliver all of my keynotes where I start with the story is when you tell a story, and I don't mean like the business stories you do, like case studies, customer wanted this, so we gave it to them. I'm talking more, let's be honest, the theatrical masterpiece of how you and your wife met, right? I know my wife and I, you know, we've removed certain elements, we've added certain elements, you know, embellished a little bit. And we're like, now, you know, I say this, my wife says this. I mean, we look at each other, we're like, that's how we met. And everyone's like, wow, it wasn't always a wow story, right? We just, it's become better. And I think everyone has that. I'm talking stories like this. But when you practice and plan those stories, the thing you have to understand is that it, it actually synchronizes your brain with the listener's brain. And what that means is that you create artificial rapport. You know, it activates the reticular activating system of a person's brain, creates artificial rapport that you can leverage into real rapport. And so I had to learn to leverage storytelling in order to foster the trust I naturally got by looking like a trustworthy kid. But yeah, it was a tough, but I had to learn that. I mean, I really just got my confidence and I felt like I I was still a little bit unsure of myself. Like, and I would say there's some behaviors that I'm kind of embarrassed about now because I was earning amazing money and I created this fake ego go about myself at that point because I still kind of was unsure about myself like any 20 year old kid but I was finally starting to find my feet and then I was at a company function and this was you know about 50 staff back then and two of the people that we had were contractors they were from Denmark they were backpackers and they just came to work with us for it was about two years and 
they got engaged and we ran a company function to celebrate it. And it was in a back room, private event. And in Australia, we had this really bad, it was actually two things happening at once. So one is we had this drug problem around, it was called ICE. And I'm not sure if the translation applies here, but you know, people were having this and it just caused them to go crazy. Like my brother-in-law's a, works in ICU as a nurse. And these were people that didn't want you to remove their ice hit because they were so into it. You have to have six security guards hold them down. And then at the same time, there was all these glassings that were happening. And that meant, you know, smash the glass on the bar and, and stab people with it. And I actually became the victim of both of those things at the same time. So we had a company function in a private room and they had this person on, on camera that had been there for hours. He obviously was drinking, but he, he, he was under influence of something else just based on his demeanor, apparently. But he just stormed in to our into the, the the room that we were in he'd smashed the glass on a bar before it came in and he stabbed me in the face with it and it like out, i was like three millimeters or five millimeters from my eye or i would have had a glass eye and i got 26 stitches across the side of my face so here i was finally getting my confidence at a company function and then all of a sudden i'm now i mean i my job i still would take salespeople out and show them how easy it was give them the system now i've got 26 stitches to the side of my face i look like a common thug and I have to teach people as well as build my own confidence. It was a lot. But again, I went, not how could getting hit in the glass in the head with my glass be my fault, but I didn't want, I had to take responsibility with how can I fix my sales system? Because this system that I had that developed relationship no longer serves me. And I had to say, how can I make that my problem? And then that's where I discovered telling much stronger stories to generate rapport. And then, you know, I found that method now helps me so much more because I mean, that's the method that leads to me speaking to all these at all these sales kickoffs, because, you know, I'm literally showing people the framework of story. That's a lot more about the actual characters in the story, making the decision maker, the hero. And most people, I mean, most salespeople just want to brag about themselves when they're telling a story and it's a case study. So it's actually been one of the single most, you know, when I, when I speak at small business and corporate events, you know, I, I, if I'm speaking at small business, I talk about rapid growth. And then I say, okay, let me give you one practical thing you can apply today out in the field. And everyone's like, it's going to take eight months to learn story. I'm like, no, nope, we're going to do it right here today. And I'll even transform somebody's story from stage. So they see that it takes minutes and it's a totally new methodology. And all of it came from getting hit in the head with a glass. So it's one of those things like I think that people appreciate that while in the moment it's awful. It's a terrible thing, right? But absolutely, the trials force us to adapt. It makes us see the world through a whole new lens, like unbeknownst to me and, you know, unprovoked. Here I am. I'm sitting in this situation, yet the world doesn't stop. I still got to adjust and, and make it happen. So I love that. If let's Before we go here, I want people to be able to go to that site again. Give us that site where they can check out the, the one page on growth. Yeah, absolutely. So that's at matthewpollard.com forward slash growth. And, you know, I would, I would highly recommend people start there because for me, if you don't know your niche and you don't know how to articulate it clearly, like I'm the rapid growth guy, I'm the hustle architect, I'm the China success coach, as opposed to I'm an accountant, I'm a financial planner. There's only a certain amount we can improve in the sales process. We can still increase your ability to sell, but it's always going to be harder than it needs to be. Yeah. I'm going to start there today, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to start there. So, Matthew, so good to have you on today, man. Learned a ton. Love to learn. For everybody out there, please go up, pick up your copy, Introvert's Edge, both in sales, Introvert's Edge and networking, both out now. And, man, I mean, listen, over 150,000 copies sold, I think, right? Like, you're just booming. I see you got 41,000 followers on LinkedIn. You just continue to be a man in demand. So, so thrilled that you could join us here on the Winners Find a Way show. It was my absolute pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me. 
me on. For everybody else, thank you for joining us. We'll see you every Friday, 12.30 p.m. Eastern, 9.30 a.m. Pacific. We're going to find a way show. We are live on YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And you can always catch all of our episodes on your favorite podcasting network. Come check us out. And until next time, winners find a way. Organizations come to me all the time with challenges of execution and communication with their teams. We help build a system through Bloom Growth and software that gives them simplification and prioritization. I teach, facilitate, and coach these organizations to literally double their value. If you're interested in gaining your individual and organizational growth, please email me at trent at leadershipity.com or click the link below and book a 15-minute call on my Calendly.